I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. And I'm Josiah Keneally, and we're your hosts. We are your hosts. And if this is your first time tuning in to Young Adults Today, we just want to say, go back, check out some other episodes, and just subscribe rate review let us know what god's doing in your life your leadership and we hope that we're a blessing to you because you've not been nothing but a blessing to us and josiah today we have an awesome guest that i think is going to shine some light on some forms of leadership and learning and development when it comes to pastoral ministry leading young adults maybe you are a young adult and you're tuning in so we just want to say thank you so much for that but josiah we have a special guest on the other end of this conversation who is it today? We're joined by Matt Engel. Matt, how are you? I'm good, guys. How are you doing? We're hanging in there. It's 80 degrees. In it's October, which is bizarre. <laughs> so we'll That's take nice. it. Yep, exactly. There's not two feet of snow on the ground yet. So you guys must be like in life. Yes, oh, that's right. <laughs> the leaves are falling. It's my favorite season of fall. Oh. And we're having fun. And if you're listening and tuning in, this conversation is going to be helpful to you in your leadership, in mm-hmm. your ministry. Maybe you're on a college campus. Maybe you're ministering to young adults or just serving the vision of a local church. And this might be one that you want to share with your leadership team or senior leaders in your organization. Mm-hmm. Maybe your boss, you might say like, hey, I came across this and we should both listen to this and talk about it. Matt Engel is joining us. He's part of the team at Glue. We're going to talk about data-driven decisions, data and the church, and really how we can understand people better. I think so many times it's like maybe we're trying to do quantitative analysis and we measure things like attendance or giving and budgets, and there's nothing evil or wrong with those things. But if we're honest, they kind of count themselves. They kind of measure themselves. And we want to help peel back the layer and maybe look at things a little bit more qualitatively. How's the quality of our ministry? How are we serving the communities that we're positioned in? How are we you know, really understanding the people that God's placed before us to serve. And so, Matt, I don't want to steal your thunder. Can you take us to the place about your journey of life and leadership and how you joined the team at Glue? Yeah, so my my journey is unique, um, but I think everybody's journey is, especially when they're younger. So um, so my my undergrad is actually in criminology and criminal justice. Most people don't know that. And, 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 the ironic part was I wanted to get into that arena mainly because I didn't grow up in a bad neighborhood, suburban of uh, area of Phoenix, but I had uh, some friends that got busted by, you know, the cops for a couple of different things. And I'm like, man, if the cops would have known six months ago, what was going on in the home, they would have been pastoring them. They wouldn't have arrested them. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that was an indictment. I didn't grow up in a bad neighborhood or any of that stuff, but we just, I had friends that got into trouble and it was like, they wouldn't be going and having to get, have their parents pick them up from, you know, jail, if, if they would, if the cops would have known like six months ago. So I got into that motion of like, could, is there any way we could get upstream from, from this, from that perspective? So went, got my undergrad, played, played across at our, our university, um, worked hard. And then the Lord shut that door it was like, nope, you're not going to get into law enforcement at all. And, and it was, passed every test that you could think of, except the one that I had no control over, which was my blood work. 
So I had to recalibrate, right? Coming out of college with a degree that now I can't le actually leverage really. And so got plugged into a university and started working in what you guys would call probably enrollment management. We called it engagement management. So recruitment and retention of students. And basically we were given like full purview to just have fun. So I'm right out of college in this new role, just like rocking and rolling with a great team. And we're like, we just get to play. So I'm having fun. We're doing a bunch of crazy cool stuff. And lo and behold, we come into like understanding how important, um, you know, the, the knowledge of our people in this instance is our students was with regards to successful alumni. So most churches really care about, hey, can we get people and keep them? When in all what we cared about at, at the university was, hey, what about successful alumni? We know we could get students. We know we could graduate them. But were they successful in their relationships, vocation, finances? And, and were they actually productive members of society while they were there? And lo and behold, we kind of did a bunch of reverse engineering in a fancy way of looking for patterns of students. And we found that, wow, actually patterns for successful alumni and unsuccessful alumni. So my local church asked, they're like, hey, Engel, that's pretty cool. Can you apply that into the local church? And I was like, I think so. So started doing the same thing. We just started looking for patterns. And if you think about the Old Testament, right, the prophets knew prophecy based upon pattern recognition. The smartest dude on the planet outside of Jesus was Solomon. What did he ask for from God was wisdom, which if you boil wisdom down, what is wisdom? Data. And so in this instance, it was like, fascinating for us to be able to take our church and grow from, you know, about 1,500 to close to 9,000 by just applying similar logic into, into ministry and beginning to know our people and having good conversations and intersections and pastoral moments with our people. And we also, because I like the numbers, we were also able to drop the average age of the congregation from about 43 down to about 36. So not only were we growing, we were getting younger, getting more relevant to the people that were in our community. And, and lo and behold, that's that's kind of what led to my intersection with Blue was, can we take a lot of this logic and apply it, apply it across the ecosystem of the faith enterprise? And so, you know, I was with 60 churches yesterday in Indianapolis. I just talked to two churches down in San Antonio today and and all around this idea of how can we just, we pray for wisdom all the time right? Like most pastors do, most people yeah. do. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening and inevitably is it's, it's Albert Einstein's quote, insanity is the same thing over and over expecting a different result. Well, in the church world, Christian insanity is the same thing over and over expecting a different result. We just pray about it more. So that's, that's the beauty of what we get to kind of play with and what we're trying to begin to elevate as far as a ministry perspective. And that's just been my journey. Looking back, I see how everything's stitched together. But at the time, I'm like wrecked because I can't do what I thought I was going to do. Then I get wrapped up into this department that I don't really know what I'm doing, but we're having fun. Then my church is like, hey, this seems like there might be a good fit. And I'm like, I don't want to join staff at a church. You got to be kidding me. Like, I'm having fun. And then lo and behold, now I work for a tech, a tech company based in Boulder working with churches that I don't know very much about tech. <laughs> That means God has a sense of humor, Matt. Agreed. <laughs> Based upon my face, he definitely has a sense of humor. <laughs> so 
Oh my word. Well, and I just want to explain to our listeners how we're having this conversation right now. Um, we launched this nonprofit about three years ago, and one of my lifelong friends, uh, Clint Reddy, he stood mm-hmm. with us at our wedding. He's been one of the people that I've sought out just as a wise friend, counsel. Yeah. Anytime I've made a career pivot or thought about change, he, we've grabbed breakfast or coffee. And so we were talking about a change in his life, a change in our life. And he's like, oh, by the way, there's these four questions and we'll get to those later, but you got to connect with Matt. And Matt and I had a mm-hmm. phone call and like the perspective that he offered me is one different that I've seen the world before. So if I had one hope or goal or vision for having that on the conversation with young adults today, it's like, look, you're in Georgia or you're in California Mm -hmm. or you're ministering in Minnesota. How can we help you understand the times like the men of Issachar, but then know what to do. And I really think the conversation we're about to have is, has that potential. Mm -hmm. And so Matt, one of the things that we're going to get into is you mentioned it, data or data, you know, tomato, tomato, data, data. (laughs) And um, can we have you paint a picture of what is data or data and what, how do you pronounce it by the way? And then how does it, how is it used in the world and how could we use it in the church? Yeah, no, that that's good. So one I like to start. I know you. I know you kicked off with with data driven. So one of the one of the things that itches me the wrong way that I'm typically like, don't say that. Is we're spirit led, Christ centered, data informed. Okay, and there's a difference between data driven and data informed. In the for profit world, data driven is a known commodity. It's a known thing, and it's a sexy term. Quite frankly, it's like, oh, we're data driven. In the church space, we're we're spirit-led, Christ-centered, data-informed. And the reason why informed is so important is because the spirit might actually tell us to go right when the data says go left, right? And so there's a big distinction where I I don't let, I am not a slave to anything other than my pursuit after Christ. That's it, right? And being data driven implies that removal of, of Christ in the equation. So I like to say Jesus was a priest, a prophet, and a king, and the kings throughout scripture are the ones that cared about data, right? And so that's, that's the beauty of some of this from that perspective. So getting into this, I like to start with just the, the, the anchoring thought of two basic questions that one of my, one of my favorite Bible uh, characters is, is Nehemiah. And mainly because he asked the two basic questions everybody should ask. You know, his brother and his friends walk around the corner. He's sitting there on the on the steps of the of the temple, and and they're he's like he looks at him and he says, "Hey, tell me about my people, and then tell me about the city." And as soon as he gets those data points, and and that's all it was. It was here's what is going on. Our people are for my Baptist friends beaten, battered, and bruised, and the gates are all burning down, right? And so he gets that data, and then. What he does with it, I think, has a massive opportunity for us as leaders in ministry is he weeps, he mourns, he prays, and he fasts, okay? But then chapter 2, verse 1 rolls around quickly after, and what happens is he gets to work. And so far too often in church world, there's two types of churches, and and, and there's ready, fire, aim churches. That's my kind of church. I'm willing to I'm willing to hit a little bit and be a little bit off. 
And then there's ready, aim, 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 and never fire churches. But if we follow Nehemiah's rubric, hey, I'm going to get some data. I'm going to get some wisdom that I've been praying for. And then I'm going to weep. I'm going to mourn. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. But then I'm going to get to also work. And so that's really kind of the precept for then now we talk about what types of data is available for churches to answer those two questions. Because fundamentally, you two as a couple, getting to know my wife and I as a couple, you're asking your question, hey, tell me a little bit about you, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we're trying to begin to understand that. So we're at transferring data. Well, in the church world, we have we have three kind of sets of data that we can we can be dealing with. In, in understanding our people. One is first party data. So this is just data that they have at their in their church management system or their ministry small group. It's, I know your kid's age. I know when you guys were married. I know enough about you. Maybe, maybe back in the day, you know, back in the day on Ellis Island, they used to track things like baptism dates. We don't do that anymore, it seems like in church world, but that's a pretty powerful date if you think about it in the spiritual development of somebody. And what would it look like for us to just honor them on that day saying, you know what, we're thinking about you. Today was an important day, you know, 40 years ago in your life. And we want to acknowledge that. So that's first party data, right? Just stuff that you have. Second party data is, is the data around, think, think like an assessment or if, if you guys are fans of Enneagram, I won't go there and make fun of it because it's actually Harris. But anyway, um, think Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or DISC assessment. That's second party data. And really, it, it's second party data is just someone else's first party data. That's kind of the way to think about it. But second party data is like profile or assessment level data. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, from a ministry perspective, it's like, hey, you have your evangelistic people, you have your administrative people or your shepherd people, right? Spiritual gifts. Third, yeah, exactly. Um, thir third party data is basically like search data. So if you were to go on Google right now and go to like googletrends.com, mm -hmm. you could actually type in keywords in Google and it would tell you how many people and the velocity of that search term in a specific geography. So if I'm a pastor wondering, so my wife and I's passion is marriage ministry. That's what we're really passionate about. And so one of the things that I'll typically do showing up to a church is look at their city on Google Trends, and I'll look for terms like marriage, weddings, datings, and divorce. And I want to see the map over the last year of where these patterns have spiked and where they've dropped off. But then I always surface the final search term on a different slide, and I call it porn. And it's crazy when you look at those four searched terms, and then you add in porn and what it does to the graph itself. But now I know more about the community going into that particular church just by looking at third-party data that's been compiled in this instance by Google. But there's a bunch of other um, uh, places that you can actually get search data from. Um, there's like datausa.io. They've gone out and compiled a bunch of data just to help people gain a little bit more knowledge and insight into their communities from that perspective. But that's the big kind of shift that's emerging in church is like, how do we begin to stitch some of this stuff together that says, wow, this is happening in our community. And here's our, the assessments of the marriage relationships in our church. And here's all of our married people with the first party data in our church. Well, now that I know all three, I might be able to design some level of ministry capacity 
uh, within, within our church to help our people grow. That's incredible. No, like when we talked on the phone too, I heard you just share Matt about like how one church that you had worked with, they looked at their ministries and prayer requests that had come in and even looked at certain time of the year, like, Oh, you know, Minnesota, it's, it's colder. People are more depressed. So maybe we should do a series on mental health. I'm just spitballing. It's like, you can be led by the spirit. You can also be informed to say like, wow, people are Mm. searching for divorce attorneys in a certain month of the year, more than the previous month. And maybe next year or this year, this is a a felt need. And that's a great way to like do ministry is to minister to felt needs in the community. Well, and if you think about it, right, what 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 is the Lord really doing is he's working on people's hearts. Mm-hmm. And if you think about prayer coming from one of the deepest places in a person, which is typically their heart, what if we just started aggregating that data, aka prayer requests? We had staff prayer at my church every Tuesday at nine o'clock. And honestly, where it where that word cloud came from was from me getting frustrated with my executive team going like, what are we praying for? Like we had 3000 prayer requests over three months. And I'm like, guys, what are we actually praying for? And, and everybody gave me this example. Oh, angle, pat you on the back. You're silly. You know, it's divorce and it's cancer and it's this and it's that. I'm like, no, quantify it for me. Like, I want to know because I was taught as an expositor verse by verse through books of the Bible. So once I dug into the data, I actually looked at all prayer requests. I And again, I'm not a researcher. I'm not a statistician. And I'm not a theologian. I just happen to live in the nexus of all three of those intersection points. And so what I decided to do, what I thought was right, was, hey, I'm going to go through all 3,000, apply a standard naming convention that the prayer used, and then I added a couple other characteristics like gender and age, mm-hmm. as we had that. And then I surfaced all the data and I popped it into a word cloud and was like, marriage was number one and health was number two. And I, I'm now in this season, we're going through the book of Acts. So you guys tell me, where do I cover marriage in the book of Acts? Well, I, I, I cover it at Ananias and Sapphira and they both died for lying. So that's my one topic. And then I can say, hey, guys, remember not to lie to each other because it's in the book of Acts, even though the number one prayer request of our people over three months was marriage. But here's the, here was the fun part is that was everybody directly relevant for your listeners was I, now I've repented from this. So don't judge me Um, is, you know, uh, when I cut that data by men under 35, the number one prayer request was mentorship and leadership. So I would regularly, again, I've repented I've re- I would regularly say, hey, if you're under 35 and you're a male, get out of your parents' basement playing video games and get a job, get productive in society. Yet they're raising their hand in my church going, I'm looking for mentorship and leadership. Mm-hmm. But without the data, I would have never known that, even though we prayed over every single prayer request every week. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so now what we're starting to see is churches actually use that type of format to then push that back to the congregation that says, hey guys, here's the here's the the volume of prayer requests in this word cloud. Who in the church is willing to join our prayer ministry and just say a good thought right now? 
I've now lowered the bar of entry into ministry that every single person in the pew can actually jump in and do something without showing up on Monday and praying over all the chairs with, you know, the 10 other people that are 85 years old that have nothing else to do. That was a joke, but you know what I mean? I should have told, I should have warned everybody like my spiritual gift is sarcasm too. So. <laughs> Matt, I think it's so good. Like, I think you have an extremely unique vantage point, yeah. which I would consider you're, you have an advantage point, but I think for all the other people, well, maybe just including myself, I view that as a blind spot of my own, of maybe, you know, blanket statements, blanket prayers. Um, oh, we all have single people problems. We all have marriage problems. We all could be healthier, but to truly break it down when those prayer requests come in and to realize, recognize and repent where we need to, obviously, um, in our leadership to just say, you know what, like if, if there's a need and we see that need, then how can we help meet that need? And that's creating a workshop, uh, marriage mentoring. Our church just did a financial um, kind of workshop that they did um, on a Saturday morning. Like, hey, sign up. Lots of you are inquiring um, or inquiring about how do I spend my money? How do I save? And these are people of all ages in the church. So they catered to that one thing. Now we all have the freedom to sign up. We all have the opportunity to attend, but to know that they saw a need, they listened to the people and they're wanting to meet that need to help set up better kingdom minded finances for giving for home, getting out of debt, whatever that is and looks like. And you can use anything at whatever your church is up against. It could be marriage, right. all those different things. And I would just be curious, Matt, like just talking about the four top questions that people in communities are asking um, how can our churches utilize what you're finding to answer these questions? Like what are the four things that just keep coming to the top of the search engine or whatever? Yeah. So uh, one, just to add on, uh, here's, here's my language that I use. We spray and pray a lot in church and my job is to not do that. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be intentional without, without actually saying everybody must do in order for it to be good. No, I want the right person to do the right thing for them in their context. Cause I know if I can do that, we're going to win as a church versus right. I want everybody to show up because somehow volume makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. Right. So then back to your question on the four top themes, th this really hasn't changed probably for the last now going at least on three years, the, the deck has maybe shuffled a little bit, but number one, uh, the number one thing right now in church world is marriage. That's, that's just number one. Good. Number two is mental health. And that spans the spectrum of both married couples and single people. And it's getting worse as you get younger in age, in, in age brackets. So I think in terms of generations, cause that's, that's the best way for me to cut data yeah. is by generation. So boomers, less mental health struggles, but as you get into, uh, um, uh, gen, gen X, then millennial, then gen Z, it's getting worse. So those do tend to fluctuate, right? The younger you get, probably not likely as married. So marriage, uh, mental health, parenting, and then leadership is number four. And leadership disproportionately is resonating with that younger generation as well. So when we tie mental health and leadership together, there's a unique thing that I think that is being probably manifested mm -hmm. is this desire for community and this desire for non-forced weirdness community, but authentic relationship community. Like, I don't know if you guys have done this at your church, but some of the old ways they would do like marriage mentors was like, we've got a bunch of marriage mentors and we're going to help assign you one. Whereas the flip really should be, hey, 
you guys are looking for a mentor, you bring your mentor to this experience and we're going to cultivate healthy dialogue between you two, but you know the mer- the mentor couple you look up to better. Mm-hmm. Right? Just a different way of what we've been accustomed to doing in church from that perspective. But those are the top four things. If, if your listeners want to dig into more of that, I'd say check out Barna's research on the five dimensions of human flourishing. So the only additional one basically in that bucket is uh, around, vo- well, it's leadership and vocation, mm-hmm. um, but they add in spiritual formation into the five dimensions. So those would be good anchor points for anybody to really truly begin to think about where are they at, where is their, you know, their friend or family member or spouse at. And then colleagues or their community. That's amazing. I I agree. It's amazing. And when I was talking with Clint, he was just talking about like, sometimes we say things like we want our church to reach unchurched people. And that's a sincere desire and goal. And he, he then he just said like, and then we package a series and we call it a study in the book of revelation or Ephesians or anything. Mm -hmm. And that's nothing wrong with that either. He goes, mainly the people who are going to be attracted to a series about revelation are going to be Christ followers. They're going to have a knowledge of (laughs) scripture. And he goes, but, but these questions, he goes, man, why not do a series on parenting? Mm -hmm. I know like we're young parents. We have a two and a half year old, Mm -hmm. one year old. And so like, We'd eat that up. Mm-hmm. We think of so many people either long to be married or they want to grow in their marriage. Um, and Micah, you pointed out this recently, like we, work, we do a lot of work on college campuses mm-hmm. as well as just with young adults. And Micah said to me, she like elbowed me. She goes, somebody was at an event, got up, open Q&A. And her question was, how do I find a mentor? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and Micah goes, that is the question of this generation. And so it's fun to hear then your vantage point of like the data would really affirm that. Yeah. You know, even specifically about generations, we had a, a fun question for you, Matt. Well, yeah, like I know that you're coming up on Gen Z and there's lots of research being done and we're kind of, we're in that, we're, we're wanting to reach people in that generation, obviously. But what is data telling us about Gen Z specifically that the leaders should know, that the volunteers should know, that the church should know, lead pastors may be unaware of? What do we need to keep in mind when it comes to Gen Z? That's a, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually digging into a lot of this stuff even right now, just because that is the question. And so what, what, a couple of observations that I have, and and most people wouldn't talk about it from this perspective, but um, the, it, it, there's there's a shifting. So a lot of people would say, you broke my trust, okay? They think trust is something like glass that breaks. Well, trust actually is malleable. It's formidable. Mm-hmm. And trust shifts. And what's happened since the boomer generation down to the millennial generation has trust has been shifting each generation. And right now, what we're dealing with is we are dealing with a distributed model of trust. They no longer trust the institution like their grandparents did. They no longer trust the communicator like the Gen Xers did, or the high production value of all the lights and smoke and the better the the better the, the light show in church, the more I could trust it. Okay. What, what's happened now is, is exactly what Uber solved for when they launched. Okay. They didn't solve 
for a new way for me to get from point A to point B. What they solved for was trust. Because two days before Uber launched, I was still told never get into a car with a stranger. <laughs> two days after Uber launches, I get into the car all the time. In fact, when I was in Indianapolis, called an Uber rider, got into a car with a stranger. He took me to the airport, you know, paid him his fee and went on my way. So they solved for trust. Well, the next gen, 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 gen Z right now is even further from that institutionalized trust. Okay. And so they're now looking laterally at 100,000 strangers that tell them you can trust this place or this person or this series more so than they are the, the social media feed. And what they're looking for is they're looking for curation over creation. And what I mean by that is they're looking for almost this type of an experience. You guys are curating me into your podcast. You're not creating it. Okay, you're curating me into the equation. Why? Because your your listeners are borrowing trust from me and pointing it to you. Mm -hmm. okay? And so that's one of the big, big seismic shifts that's happening right now is trust is continuing to shift more and more toward a distributed model and less as this institutional trust norm than, than anything that's happening right now. So if we don't, as, as the church, begin to solve for that and un understand that origination of trust is now distributed, you're going to lose this next generation. You're going to continue to build the model that we need more lights, we need better smoke, we need better this. When that's not what they're looking for, they're looking for authenticity and a lack of production. They still want excellence, but authenticity and a lack of production, AKA I'm looking for the distributed model saying I can trust this person. Wow. That's isn't, intense. Isn't that that's good? Isn't that fascinating? I um, overall was just soaking in what you were saying. And I think that the, if I had to say that the anthem mm -hmm. of cryptocurrency, when I was doing research on it was decentralization, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I hear you saying is a desire of the next generation is like, Hey, let's spread things out a little bit. Let's, and, and trust looks different. Totally right. agree. And, um, I think of like some of the, I'm pointing at a TV, but like some of the apps that like even YouTube, it yep. says, we recommend this for you or up next for you. And that's to your point of curation wow. of Spotify. We have a suggested playlist, mm -hmm. um, Apple Podcasts is like, if you like this, you'll probably like this. Um, oh, Amazon, Hulu, everybody. Hulu's like, hey, if since you watched this, you'll probably like other action movies or what have you. And so I think that it's really um, sometimes missed, but also a massive opportunity to, to look at things. And this is where my own brain starts thinking, but perhaps we could look at like people's next steps Hey, you were water baptized and, or, or you, you responded to salvation. Like when, are, when are you signing up to get water baptized? Like, right. Oh, you are looking for a mentor. Like how about coming to this event where we're going to introduce you to other people that um, might be a great fit. And, and I think that just the opportunity is massive mm -hmm. and um, very <laughs> intrigued by your, your insights on the next gen. Yeah, the big the big thing for me is it butts up against the institution of the church that has to figure out and embrace that they no longer and they never did 
but because of trust, they could claim it, which was they own, controlled, and governed everything in the church. And if you think, I'll say me, I don't know about you guys, but back back when I accepted Christ, it was like I had to go through 25 different classes in order to get the badge that said I was able and equipped to go out and share my faith with my friend. Even though I did, without ever completing those classes, go out and share my faith with my friend, but the church wanted to own, control, and govern everything because they were institutionalized thinking. Well, in this, de in this decentralized model of ministry that is breaking every church on the planet, what's happening now is I no longer can control what you guys say to each other as a husband and wife. Even though you come to my church and you went to my marriage class, I can't control you. I can't govern you. I can't own you from that perspective. But I used to think I could in that motion. Well, it was never true. So in this motion now, it is all about the decentralization of, are you a disciple-making church or are you a disciple-maker-making church? And the latter one has massive ramifications on the big church because pre-COVID, hey, bring your friends and I'll pastor them. Post-COVID, gosh, I should be equipping you to do the work of ministry. That sounds biblical. I should be equipping the saint to do the work of ministry, right? Whereas... Prior to COVID, it was bring your friends and I'll do the ministry because I'm the pastor. I'm mm -hmm. on staff. And now it's a threat to their identity. That's so good. You're spot on. And yes. I I mean, okay, this is TikTok for a second, right? Yep. TikTok's a disruptor. <laughs> and this is my generic observation. I can only say it's what I've observed. But I noticed some people who work for, say, like large organizations, and they have budgets behind them. They have nice cameras. They have lights. They have a microphone with good sound. And then I noticed that I have some young friends who are just like gritty, scrappy, have something mm -hmm. to say, and they go outside because it's beautiful fall and they get on and they're like, hey, these are the, you know, this is what I'm learning. And I've noticed that at least in my feed or experience on TikTok, the people who are very produced mm -hmm. or very supported, yep. they're getting like hundreds of views Yep. Yep. who are like. I'm using that outside. That's my backdrop. That's my backdrop. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm going to the mall or I'm actually in my car for crying out loud. Yeah. No perfect visuals, mm -hmm. no green screen, no lights or audio or sound. It's like, to your point it's of underproduced and raw, yeah. it's like those are the people getting hundreds of thousands of views. Right. That's and I'm doing. really fascinated by that. Do you agree with that? Do you have any... Yep. Yep. In fact, in fact, you know, prior to it being a fad, like the whole influencer thing, everybody, everybody has now bought into you're being paid by everybody. So I no longer trust you. Even if you are a celebrity holding a water bottle, it's like, yeah, it's inauthentic. It's produced and you're editing the videos down and you're doing all this manipulation to put on a facade. Mm -hmm. I don't trust that. So it is this raw, authentic, non-production-based experiences that people are looking for and that people will then further say, hey, you're up on stage and there's no light show and you might have just a banjo in the back playing worship music, but I kind of can get behind that. And you're openly sharing that you just struggled with mental health and that you've been overly depressed as the pastor of my church for the last four weeks. So you're going to take a week off. I can kind of get behind that. 
-hmm. but this whole motion that I've got to be in the gym. I mean, I like to joke with pastors. It's like, if, if your muscles, your arm muscles are bigger than your thigh muscles, you're spending too much time in the gym and not as much time in the Bible. Right. And it's like, but, but there's this weird notion that I've got to be produced. I've got to be well-liked. I can't, I can't look a certain way other than like I'm in shape and you can, you know, because they're anchored into that trust factor Mm -hmm. that they need to trust. It's like, no, they're looking for authenticity and the lack of production, but they still want excellence. So it's not a diminished value prop of excellence. They don't want just the boom box up there. Like we did in our church plant, you know, play, play Caleb on the radio and everybody sings the song. And then we're going to get into the, (laughs) we're going to get into the Bible. If they're not looking for that, they're looking for authenticity and a lack of production, but still want excellence. Oh, that's so good. And leading into authenticity, Matt, are you ready for the five and five challenge? Hit me up. Ooh, okay. Here's question number one. What is something that you're into right now, whether it be a hobby or what you find you doing on some spare time that you might have, hopefully you do, outside of work or ministry or the church world? Um, so a couple, couple things that we've been doing as a family right now is, uh, is we go in spurts and right now we're really into puzzles again. So we've, we've got a couple of big puzzles and, and, and that we've been working on like the thousand pieces and they're really difficult. So it kind of gets us all around the table. And then we kind of joke with each other, uh, from that perspective, um, that's kind of been a, a but again, that's cyclical. It kind of depends on that stuff. And, and probably the, the, the other thing is, is been helping my, helping my kids with sports. My, my daughter's a sophomore on the girls basketball team for her high school and my son's in middle school, just starting basketball, um, himself. So they're, they're into that. So just kind of helping them kind of, you know, videoing them and showing them, Hey, this is, this is what I mean when I'm saying that your, your dribble's a little bit off or whatever. So those are probably a couple of big things. And then I enjoy, I'm doing some massive amounts of research right now. Um, on this whole decentralized stuff that I find is fun for from even a hobby. Like I said, I love what I get to do. So it's not really work when I love what I do. So I spend time researching stuff like that all the time. We need that. We really do. So your kids are in sports. You said you played lacrosse. Who do you guys cheer for? You know, so we we are a college sports team. Okay. We like... I'll go for the golden gophers when I know they're playing a big game on Sunday. We're we're big. We're big U of M Michigan fans. So the two teams, I will tell you, I despise with every bone in my body, Uh Ohio state and the, the university down South in Arizona, as I like to call them, the university of Northern Nogales technical college, which is also known as U of A. Those two don't like everybody else though. I can get behind. Um, we love, we like the Longhorns. Uh, so, so uh, we're, we are just a big college sports fan. Like we watch everything, football, basketball, baseball, girls, softball. I mean, shoot, even swimming and water polo. Sometimes we watch. So that's fun. I love it while you're doing your puzzles, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. In fact, we're working on right. We're working on the puzzle right now for the big house university of Michigan, because I'm taking my kids and I to the U of M Penn state game this weekend. We'll have a blast. Well, here's a curveball for you. If you could ask Josiah and myself a question, anything under the sun, what would you ask us today? 
You know, I think as I as I was I was kind of processing this, I think what I'd ask is what what what's your next season look like, and how do you evaluate seasons in your life so that people that are maybe younger than you are looking at you currently, and then your evaluative process as a couple as individuals. But what how do you guys evaluate seasonality of things? Yeah. Um, well, for the listener who's maybe just tuning in, who's never heard us talk about this every anniversary. So we got married in June. Every anniversary is kind of almost like a restart of goals, aspirations. So we do a one-year plan in the perfect world of three-year, a five-year, 10-year. So we wanted to begin our marriage with the end in mind and being in a season where we specifically are, um, and have launched, launched a 501c3 nonprofit, mm-hmm. We're kind of in the season where we're in the grind. We're in the grind. And we know because from fundraising to event planning, to travel, to making God's name known and building his kingdom and not our own. Um, that's one thing that we always want to do is make sure that he's on the throne of our heart and um, and the ministry which we're leading. So I would say that's one way that we kind of calibrate our seasons or recalibrate. Um, we're also in a season of young kids. Yeah. So that's never, yeah. never going to go. We're going to be parents forever. So until yeah. Lord takes us home. So, and beyond. So I'm just evaluating, like, how do we not wish the seasons away, but how do we live present yeah. while preparing for the future and enjoying the now it's like this tension of time yeah. that I think we're always trying to, I don't know, manage. It's not even balance. It's just, how do we mal- manage the tensions and the season that we're in while we don't want to wish it away? We have one teething, one that needs to start almost potty training and one to sleep through the night. Like those are my three prayers for them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's good. That's real good. And it's real it away, too. Right. Cause then I'm like, oh my gosh, she'll be 18 and out of the house. And we sitting here wondering what happened the last 18 years. So I guess that's a portion of the answer, but I don't want to take one step deep, deeper. Just for sure. My whole life, I always had the luxury or the ability to say yes to anything that I wanted to do. And, um, just calendar wise, I, I made it work, especially as a single young adult. Like, Availability, right? I did grad school at a young age. I was working. I, I had a very fun life. And then getting married, there's two of you. So you put your joint calendars together and that was really easy. I think the challenge for us, Mike mentioned, is like, okay, bed, bedtime routine is like energy at this house. Yeah. Like there, there's two of us and two of them. And so I look at like, we were away with some friends last week and they're like, Josiah, are you up for training for an Ironman? Which is like about a two mile swim, 112 mile bike, 26.2 mile run. And I said, I would be someday, but this isn't the season for that. Mm-hmm. Just knowing the amount of training that goes into that, knowing that added energy is going to go into launching a ministry that we feel God's asked us to do. So I think that how we evaluate Mm -hmm. decisions or seasons for me came from probably being 18 years old. And my youth pastor told me about a leadership podcast called um, Andy Stanley leadership podcast. And he always said, he wrote a book called choosing to cheat. And I think it got renamed, but he always said, don't give up something that's unique to you for something that someone else will do. So it reminds Mm -hmm. me at church or at work or with ministry, somebody else can do those things. Somebody else can preach the event on Sunday. Somebody else could lead at that conference Mm -hmm. and somebody else may lead this ministry beyond us someday. Right. Um, But our daughters have one dad. Mm -hmm. 
Micah has one husband. So mm -hmm. like our friend Trey, he fires me up because um, we were at an event and he goes, everything is the rubber ball. You can yeah. get a new job. It's, it's buoyant. It bounces back. Mm -hmm. You know, like you mess up with a client. Well, you can get a new client. Uh, you crash your rental car. Well, there's insurance and it's a rubber ball. It's nobody, as long as nobody died. But he goes, the family is the glass ball. Yeah. If you drop, it will shatter and God can still make beautiful things like mosaics that are, he can restore broken things, but it will never be the same. Yep. So just mm -hmm. learning from others, how they've processed big career changes or seasons, mm -hmm. um, asking myself or Micah, then what is this season? What's our greatest kingdom contribution? And just because it, what I tell myself, just because it fits on the calendar doesn't mean it fits with our values. Sure. So saying no to the right things, right. Um, then I'm not overbooked or exhausted or overwhelmed to then be able to say yes when the God opportunity comes. Well, and just because I can, doesn't mean I should. Yep. Yep. Oh, yep. Filtering through that lens. So like that's a great question. As you can see, we've wrestled with it. <laughs> hey, I'm glad. Hey. My, uh, a Marine Corps used to used to a Marine Corps sergeant used to work on my team, and he had a principle. I won't fill everything in, but he called it the seven P principle: prior proper planning prevents poor performance. I'll use the poor performance. There you go. <laughs> I yep, got you. No, it's true. <laughs> and Matt, we've enjoyed this so much. Two final questions for yep. you. Um, question four or five is, let's say you could go anywhere that you've never been. Okay. Would you want to travel for fun? Um, so a little bit about me. So we live in Colorado for your listeners that didn't know. Um, and so we, our backyard actually looks at the Rocky mountains and the, we can see the Rockies from the, and the front range where we're at. And so one of the places that I'd, I'd really like to go, cause I just find, I find myself just at peace with the Lord in nature mm -hmm is like switzerland um with all the mountains and the waterfalls and just the varying uh varying climate structures that they have there i think it'd be fun to to kind of go there and just be in awe of like the majestic nature of nature in that setting having been able to experience the rockies there's even more divergence sometimes in, in places in switzerland so that's that's where i'd pick that's amazing all right here's the five and five if you could leave the listener with one word of encouragement today, Matt, what would you leave them with? Yeah. So one of the things that I tell, uh, especially younger adults all the time, uh, is, is people find their place in this world through contribution, not just consumption. And so be thinking through the lens of how can you be a contributor more so than just a consumer Contri continue to find ways to contribute value to other people. And it's going to be a refining process, but but there is an element of staging within this thing of like, you know, in your 20s, this is John Acuff stuff, but in your 20s, you should be learning from this perspective. And then in your 30s, you're moving into like an editing phase. So what does it begin to balance that con contribution consumption? In the 40s, you're like mastering things, your 50s, you're harvesting, and then in the 60s, you're guiding. And so each one of those has a tension of contribution over consumption. But ultimately, if you think about it, even in your context or even in your listeners context, where they've been helped most is most likely where they are most passionate to mm -hmm. contribute value to others. 
And so in ministry for the leaders that are listening of, of churches and ministries across the country, it's like, we should be unlocking the passion that exists in people for them to be contributors more so than recruiting to chores just to consume a bunch of stuff. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. And I think that that's a great way to leave the listener today. I mean, I think wherever your life was radically changed or wherever a mentor entered the story and your life started taking transformation, um, those are mile markers, right? And those are things where we become passionate about, whether it's marriage mentoring, whether it's young adult ministry, whether it's youth, whether it's, I mean, anything under the sun, it could be technology, it could be the first, you know, whatever, social media platforms. And um, that's something so great to think to- about it. Yeah, sorry, real quick. If you think about it from from biblical, right? Adam was put in the Garden of Eden to do a job into something that was already perfect. Mm-hmm. He was asked to contribute value. So if we are designed by God, which scripture says we are, and created in the image, he's a contribution God. Therefore, we're architected for contribution. So we need more people embracing that idea in an honoring fashion, like Acuff uh, lanes out versus. I need to be the CEO right now. No, learn, edit, master, harvest, guide, right in that structure. So it's been great with you guys. Appreciate the time. Oh, man, Matt, thanks for everything. And I pray and hope that the listener is left wanting more. Mm -hmm. And if you're like me and you're wanting to tap into some of those resources of maybe check out Google Trends for the first time, maybe a next step could be have a conversation with your pastor or a mentor or some of your volunteers about these questions and what are people asking in your community? What needs do they have and how can we minister to them? But Matt, um, we'll link everything in the show notes, but thanks so much for your time. My pleasure, guys. Great to, great to hang out with you here. Same. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Yep, you too. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.